0: So you
1: had an interesting week of teaching? Oh, I have a new student, by the way. Oh, we go. have a new student at Tennis Rockers. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> you ready? Uh, okay, let's get uh, let's, let's uh, who our new student. Here we go, folks. Here it goes. <laughs> okay. We'd like to welcome to the show, to the class, uh-huh. Papa Nicholas. <laughs> there you go. Papa Nicholas is our new... Remember, we're going to name all our students uh, yeah. after the coffee that I'm drinking. Oh, there you go. So Papa Nicholas is 65. Uh-huh. Didn't play any tennis. This growing gets him up. warmed up, by the way. Didn't play any tennis growing up. Yeah, he has limited mobility. He's got rounded shoulders. Is this a real student of he yours? He has. He's had a desk job. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little punchy in the middle, but he's stocky. Like he moves. Well. He's got good thighs. Like like he could probably push off. He moves well. So he, when he walks, he walks like with determination. Right. But as far as like elastic energy and looking like like fluid, he's got some issues. So. He's he goes to the gym like twice a week. Right, right. Little, but you know. But as we get older, we get a little paunchy. That's as guys. Well, it's the, not just that, we but we if keep you're fat in the middle, it's not just that. that, but if
0: you're doing the predominant, if you're doing a major part of your life as sitting, you know, you're going to condition your body to looking like that. Get comfortable sitting, and it will look a certain way. Should we I mean, apply? But shouldn't we that, apply that mentality? To everything listen my mother is super old she's in her 90s and every time I see her she says the same stuff and I just want to dispel this for anybody who's listening she says it's because I'm old I'm getting old I'm old and the reality is that she's in her 90s she still has to walk she still has to go to the bathroom she still has to do stuff but it's good it's very hard for her and every time I tell her listen you're carrying a ton of weight and I give her the analogy where I give her like a gallon of milk and I hand it to her and I say, okay, try to get up off the couch with this. And it's a gallon of milk. And she's like, why would I do that? I, I Come on. I, mean, I, I just blah, blah, blah. And I say, I say, well, just try it once. And she tries. And she, she actually, to her credit, she got off the couch with the gallon of milk, but you could tell she was straining. And I said, now imagine you're carrying 10 of those in your weight. And you want to get up off the couch or you want to get off the toilet or you you want to go for a walk. Look at how hard you're making this on yourself. Yes, you're in your 90s. Yes, this is a normal part of aging. But it does not have to go this way. It, does, uh, it just
1: doesn't have to go this so way. So I have a woman in her mid... I'm glad you said that. So before so we should unpack that for two seconds yeah your day we're not hiding anything here your your dad was a little controlling we'll just go with that right now <laughs> yeah i, we, I don't want to get into the whole yeah i don't issues either right trust now. me i don't i, I know you know, that's, that's a whole other series growing up with coach claude right. <laughs> right. or or shouting up with Cla- coach Claude. But your dad was like, nope, no car for you. You basically made your mom like walk and bike everywhere. So in a weird right. way, by him being controlling that way, he actually ex- helped her extend her life. I, and, right? And the, She's and the, outlived him by 25 years. I mean, think of that. And the life that he chose, it was, he, he was a smoker, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the life that he chose, would you say it was the opposite of what she did? Yeah, it was the diametric opposite. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. by in a weird way, like, <clears throat> nope, sorry, I'm going to inconvenience you and make you walk and bike everywhere. Then your mom was, and you said growing up, your mom was like, "Come on, let's go. We're biking," right? You would just like you we're know, walking. We're, Dude, walking. we're walking
0: to town, and it's two miles. I'd say that with a Chicago accent. <laughs> I don't have a Chicago accent. We're walking. We're I probably do, but I don't realize I do.
1: No, that's yeah. not bad. You say awkward. You say a couple things that are words. Yeah, like do I, I do, I. like wall and, and uh, maybe draw. I was draw. About, maybe I was born in New York, and I was you get moved You got transplanted. transplanted. I don't, I don't so, so my point, though, is that... So was she always heavy, though? Or was that something that happened later in life?
0: Uh...
1: I think she was always a little heavy,
0: but, but then. But as you get older, it's it. Well, she, she, I mean, as soon as she, uh, as soon as she inherited money, she bought her own car, <laughs> and then as soon as she bought her own car, you know the walking, you know, went out the window. It was like bye bye.
1: Right. So, so if you're someone that doesn't like exercising, and right. I get it.
0: I get it. Believe me, I totally understand. Yeah. I've wrestled with my weight. But why my whole don't life. you like exercising? You don't like exercising typically because it's uncomfortable for the first. I don't even know. 50 times you do it I, Yeah, I know there's a hundred no times you do it and you're like and even when you exercise I exercise regularly and there's times when I'm like oh do I do it but I remember oh you know what I'm
1: gonna feel good afterwards well that's, that's isn't that's, that the difference though also between the foods that we choose and listen we all wrestle yeah. with the same thing I mean do would I like to be dunking a Stella Dora breadstick into my sure freaking coffee or Papa sure. Nicholas coffee right now to be Stella Dora Right. But, but you're right. So, and I think there's this weird thing between weight. So, I was always struggling with my weight. And I really had to come to Jesus when, because my personal life was not going well. I was just, I was overeating. I was, I was self medicating, maladjusted behavior, which we talked about. I was 65 to 75 pounds over what I should be. So, my doctor said, again, did I know it? You're going to die. Well, no, I was having trouble walking. I had shin splints. I had all these issues. And I was teaching on the court, right? So this was this is a bad situation. So f- f- he was like, hey, you know, for every pound you're overweight, there is 10 pounds of pressure on your joints. In your knees, specifically your knees, and you're a tennis pro. So I was putting on between 650 pounds of pressure to 750 pounds of pressure on my knees. And I'm complaining about, hey, my lower back hurts at the end of the day. My knees hurt. My, I mean, it was, it was to the point where I, I couldn't, just to drive my car was a huge issue. So... I looked at, ironically, I I once started going to this trainer and in the waiting room, he had this book called Wheat Belly and it just talked about the breads that we eat here in the United States. So I had this weird convergence where I realized, okay, again, not, not that I realized, it was things had to get so bad for me that I was putting an extra 650 pounds of pressure or more on my joints every day. I'm teaching for 12 hours a day. I could barely move. I could barely drive my well, car. But you were getting a little bit older, too. Like if you were in your uh, 20s. I could have faked that. A you could bit. have faked it a little bit longer. So, so but, anyway. but, but you know what it was, Ready? Here's what's weird. I moved well. I still moved like a tennis player. Right. So my students would say, It, it was so unnerving when they saw me drop the weight because they were like, Are you, are you okay? Do, do you have something wrong with you? And they'd say, Well, you've always moved well. <laughs> Right. So, but I think yeah. we have this thing where we confuse being skinny as being fit. Oh yeah,
0: and I oh, know t- being healthy. Correct. I don't even know if it's fit. Okay, I health? mean it's healthy. But but, but I know got- people that have super high cholesterol and they're skinny, <laughs> and they can't. I mean, and they have diabetes,
1: and so it's not necessarily a corollary at all. Right at all. But I think we have to also break down what is healthy. So one would be how does your body feel at the end of the day? How does your body feel when you wake up? One. Two, how does your body feel at the end of the day when you're done with your day? Three, how do you move through the course of your day? What's your range of motion? What's your ability? What's your mobility? Do you have some flexibility? Cognitively, are you foggy? You know, there's all these things that go into it. So the minute I lost 65 pounds, 70 pounds. It wasn't a minute. (laughs) No. Or the minute. No, it wasn't. It was it was a long haul. But this for me again, every body type is different on what kind of system do you work on? Do you work on a, on a on a glucose system? Do you work on a on a fat system? Are you working on, like we could there's all these systems and it's really complicated because I've I've seen heavier people who move really well and they're actually eat healthy and they're actually healthier than the skinnier person. And just to what you just said, I've seen people that look that, that I teach with a pro who doesn't lift, but he looks like he's cut and he goes like, yeah, I got fake muscles. <laughs> like he just, his body looks like he's really strong. You look right. at me, if I took my shirt off. You're like, Hey, nice uh, beer belly. Sully. Like, I might like I have a little bit of fat in my belly because of what I lived. And even my doctor's like, dude, that w- I said, well, I'm going to get rid of that. He's like, liposuction and don't do that. He goes, you you look like that because of the foods that you were eating and how much you were. And I was on a heavy carbo. Right. Glu- uh,
0: gluten. <clears throat> and again, I'm not. Well, because not- you needed energy. And then what happens is, is that, you know, you get overweight, you're, you, be- you become overweight. And then <clears throat> you start to slow down. You slow down because it's difficult. It's hard on your muscles. It's hard on your muscle skeletal structure. It's hard on your um, your energy production structure, right? Um, and so you start to slow down. So then what you start to do is you start to cheat it because you're slowing down. So then you start pumping yourself with stuff to keep yourself going. It's almost like the guy who has to pull an all nighter and knows he's pulling an all-nighter. So, what does he do? He pumps himself full of, you know, in our day, it was no dose and it was crap like that. <laughs> right. And now, you know, it's speed and it's now it's Red Bull and Monster and all that stuff. It just, it's the same thing, just in a different version. Probably even more, it's probably even worse because it contains all those colors and additives and preservatives rather than, you know, the strict no dose or whatever. Not saying that was, I'm not advocating for any of this, but I'm just saying you tend to get heavier and then it becomes harder to produce so then you start consuming the very thing you shouldn't be consuming because you start telling yourself well this will keep me going if somebody were to at when you were when you were your size your former self uh, we'll call it your saturated self
1: yeah it's a good one
0: yeah. uh, if somebody had given you a crudita plate or just given you some fresh celery and some fresh carrots or whatever to eat and said Don't eat that. Just have this. Here's a plate. Would you really have eaten it when you were in the depths of your, you know, or would you have said, yeah, it's okay, I'm good. I'm just going to have what I was eating, you know?
1: No. (laughs) Because I look at like, you know, some bread with whatever I'm going to slather on it, which tastes so good, (laughs) you know, and, and ready? And my cup of coffee in the morning that was filled with, creamer right it's again it's 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 like the sugar pumps or i had to put my french vanilla creamer into it and i had three four cups it's more sugar than actually coffee <laughs> like at some point i might as well just have a piece of cake right yeah you, you know it's it, again so so <clears throat> right.
0: and it's and the the problem is it's ever it doesn't and and the, and the companies that manufacture food products know this right i see it with my own mother it doesn't It's a convenience thing and you have to, it's just one of the things that you have to work on is convenience. So keeping freshly cleaned vegetables and fruits nearby that literally are in a container that you can just reach for. Then you're on par with the food product stuff that they sell at the grocery store that people take home and put on their shelves. Because then when the urge hits you, it, you know, you got two strikes against you when it comes to fresh fruits and vegetables. One is you go, Oh, it's not going to be nearly as good tasting. <laughs> it's not gonna Oh, it's not. I mean, I just know it. It's not right. And so it's a mindset shift. You have to tell yourself, Ooh, fresh strawberries. That would be really good right now. Or Ooh, a banana. I really, it's a, it's a mindset versus, you know, that freshly made, uh, stack of uh, oatmeal raisin cookies or w- whatever it is, the donut, the, the scones, the pies, whatever, any, of, any of the sweets. And then there's also all the other food products. But then the second strike you have is that y- y- you've got to y- you tell yourself, well, uh, it's not clean or it's not chopped. And I've got to prep it. I've got to prep it. So you're like, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to prep.
1: <laughs> are- I don't have
0: time to prep. I'm just going to,
1: when I was the produce boy in New York, for scotch and sirloin. This is back in the day. Yo, the 80s. <laughs> the decade of cocaine, uh the 80s. And I was working at Scotch and Sirloin, and I was 10 years old, 11. So I had a job at 10 11, chopping produce. I want you to understand <laughs> how like today that would never happen. Right? right. And I was making like $5 an hour. So it was I'd go on a Saturday morning, and basically I would just go into the refrigerator and I would go th- like chop the basically vegetables. the guy working during the week <laughs> that had
0: to do this job was like, I'll pay you out of my own salary to do Cause this. Because I need a day off. Because I
1: need a day off. Yeah, I need was, a day off. It was a decade of, of, cocaine and salad bars. Everything was the salad bar. Right. And I remember my first week working there, I went to go clean something. <laughs> my manager said like, yo Sullivan, what do you do? And I go, I'm washing the vegetables. It goes, it's wet vegetables. That it doesn't do anything. They're filled with pesticides. <laughs> he goes, it, "That's for you. That's to make you feel good. Just chop it." And I, I was like, "Really?" He goes, "Now we got wet lettuce that's w- like all soggy in the refrigerator." He's like, "Don't bother. That's all a show." And I, and then every time we go, you go to the sh- like when you go to the supermarket and they're they're misting everything. That is all for you to well, see. Yeah, that. Sure. Right, but but again, there's that mindset though, ready mm-hmm. of. We, we buy into things because it makes us feel better. Or we see a little, my kids do it now too. If they, as soon as they see a brown spot on anything, they think there's something wrong with it. Right. And I said, no, 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 no. That's normal. That's nature. But just can but, I but, say. But look, what we're, but look what we're fighting against. But then it's like, oh, but I can have the modified thing that's filled with pesticides that looks better. So ready? So now you're going to choose between a, a strawberry with a little bit of brown on it or a power bar, right? right. Bra- Ooh, I don't know if that's
0: that's, strawberry. that strawberry power is, bar. Fuel been, up. That's been that's been created to perfection in a factory somewhere. So, so what so are you going to choose? But think
1: of the marketing on. Well, that. I mean,
0: we've done the same thing, and we've done the same thing at supermarkets for years. We we dye the meat so that it's nice and beet red or whatever cheese, so you know, yellow <clears throat> cheese,
1: right? Because right. now is well, well, I don't want that. That's the, right.
0: That's what cheese. But looks I will like. say this about fruits and vegetables. I know because I buy them. I don't. I don't. I know that you know. I'm checking them out, <laughs> and I after somebody after about well, after about people fifty it, yes. hands, after about fifty hands have been all over my apple, I'm still, <laughs> I'm gonna wash it. Yes, I get because that. people are grabbing my avocado and checking it for mushiness and whatever. So cool. I'm gonna do that just. Just for you kids out there who think that Uncle Sully's suggestion of not washing <laughs> the produce is oh. a good thing, I just want to tell you that there are a lot of hands that get on this. Stuff. Oh,
1: I've seen and I've you know, seen in the
0: age of communicable disease going rampant and killing lots of people. It doesn't hurt. Wash.
1: It doesn't hurt, but it was the point was that, and I get when when. Aunt Mamie is, is picking her nose and then touching all the avocados. I'm all up. I get it. I'm like,
0: Ugh. or better yet, the kid, the kids are playing in the store and they're falling and they're, they drop and it. They, yeah. No, they're falling. They're falling on their hands and they're, and they're crawling all over and then they pick up your apple after, you know, people's shoes have been all over the floor. So, and they're, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, Oh, so this, can
1: I have this mommy? I'm yeah. like, ah, it's okay. I'll just wash. It. So if you're washing for, mm. cause somebody else touched it, I totally get it. But again, we're fighting against these, these marketing tools that people buy into. And we do say things that, that if we actually took the time that seem inconvenient. So like one thing I do, because we feel like we're going to miss out on something because of the convenience, right? We want everything in our big refrigerators that it's right there to grab. I don't think it's that. I'll
0: tell you, it's, I'm hungry. I'm hungry and I want it now. Now. Can, and I don't, it's not about I'm missing out. It's I'm freaking hungry. I want some food and I've got, and I know that I can just go over there and I can grab a prepackaged fig bar. That's got two figs in it. They're monster. They'll taste eh, halfway decent. No, they taste pretty good. <laughs> I like those. I like my figs. It depends bars. on, it depends, but they're, but they're not nearly as healthy as if i had an apple if i just went and had an apple so i got to keep a bowl full of washed apples nearby because otherwise i know myself i'm going to sit there and i'm going to go takes too long i got to wet my hands i got to get i got to get soap on there i want to clean all this stuff off i knew i wanted to clean it off i didn't so i'm just going to go over there and i'm going to get that food product and i shouldn't and i do and well, well
1: I, and I think that that's one of the things I'm training myself, and I'm I'm really working on my kids. It should um, be a class in all well, well, my my class is my house, and yeah. wh- that what I do is I like to actually go shopping for the food that I want that day, or for two, I don't shop. For the whole week right because i actually like going to the well, store. chances are if you're shopping for the whole week you're buying a lot of preserved food because <laughs> okay so, so again yeah. there's and i listen i get it you know i don't want people like oh you're yeah. so much better than me this is hard i think what hope people are hearing is that it's a choice no but it's not just a choice to make the choice is a struggle it's not is it no? do i went right now with a snowfall do i want to go shopping tonight after work because i actually don't have any food in the house no. How many times have I bought the, you know, I'll, I'll just get four bananas. I'm going to eat those. Something happens in my day. And then three days later, I'm like, Oh, they're all they're. Too, I hate, I hate like really brown bananas. I like them <laughs> actually really like raw, I like the early stages, you know? And I'm like, Oh really? And I got to throw that out and I'm like, Oh, it's just a waste of money. It's so annoying. So it's a struggle for everybody. I don't I hate when people are like, well, it's just a choice. I know you don't mean that, but like it's just a choice. You just got to do it. Yeah, just doing it is a nightmare. It's no, not No, my easy. way of saying
0: it's a choice is to say <clears throat> that I've had to struggle with that. That it's a struggle.
1: It's a struggle for everybody. And
0: that's and you just and it's but it's but the struggle is worth it because you um but you have to keep in mind and you know what? That's one of the best parts about having kids. In my mind, it's one of the best parts about having kids. This is your opportunity to do it differently than your parents did. And um, this is your opportunity to also self-reinforce some of the things that you struggle with. So you're self-reinforcing that you, you struggle with eating right. Or maybe you're struggling with some other habit. And you look at your kids and you're like, I don't want them to be saddled with this. Regardless of, you know, unless you're just completely checked out, you look at your kids and you're like, I don't want them to be saddled with this. This is not healthy for them. And you have to. And so that's one of the best parts about having kids is because it also can, if you allow it to be a sort of preventative mechanism or a mechanism that is a reminder for you. Oh, that's right. I wanted to stop doing that. Or I wanted to start doing that. And so then you got to lead by example. There's nobody, you know, if you're living alone or you're living with a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I mean, it's not the same, you know?
1: No, because the kids look up at you like,
0: <clears throat> Hey, you're my
1: superhero. Right. You're and like, I thought you, oh. and I thought
0: you said you, I thought you said not to do that.
1: <laughs> they call you out. They right. totally call you. Out. But <clears throat> the other thing too, though, I think is it teaches younger, not just even your kids. I think it teaches younger people that where, when you do get called out, you say, you know what? I told my kids, I totally, I had McDonald's like seven months ago. I just, I had a moment of weakness. I was just, it was after a, a songwriting session and I was it was late. I hadn't eaten like in 30 something hours. And of course, guess what was open yeah, on right. my way home. Right. I think I had, I don't know, I think I had like five bucks cash. So that's the first thing, right? When you know for like under five bucks, you can get like two double cheeseburgers, fries, and a giant, giant root beer there's something wrong with the food <laughs> at that point. And I, I, so I, I confessed. I said, guys, I gotta tell you something. I'm not feeling so good today. I said, my hands are swollen from all the, the, the salt. And they were like, dad, you know you're not supposed to eat that. I said, I know it's been like 10 years. I had a moment, I said, but guess what? I said, and I t- explained to him. As I was eating it, I was like, oh, God, this is so good. I've been missing out. The next day, I was in the bathroom, destroyed, the hands are swollen, and then they so they call me. That. So you know what now? You, that's what they do now. This is like seven months ago. There, they still bring up, "Hey, Dad, do you remember?" And I was like, do "You guys, will you let it go." Can
0: I tell you? I think that this country, we've laid the seeds for this for a very long time. I used to think that the fast food thing was just born out of. The 50s, you know, the 50s TV dinners and all that stuff. But I was reading a book about the Great Depression to my kids. It's one in the series uh, of books that I got. Uh, and, it, you know, there's nothing better than kids' books at some level, depending on the writer and the editor, the editing staff, to really boil down some concepts that you kind of knew or kind of thought about, but really didn't, or you had some fixed ideas about, and you're like, well, this is how it was, you know? And so this book talks about, it takes, you know, which anybody who's looking at or thinking about it would be like, Oh my God, that's a depressing topic. (laughs) You're reading this to your kids. You know what I mean? But Oh my gosh, it was so fascinating. It was so fascinating. The parallels between then and now.
1: Okay. Give me some.
0: Well, (laughs) One parallel was the presidency. You had a guy like Hoover, who was in, saying, things are great. They're going to turn around any second. People were borrowing and leveraging themselves. Banks were lending people money so they could take the money. And banks knew that they were doing this. They were taking the money, and then they were going into the stock market and buying stocks in companies. And they were using that loaned money to buy the stocks, which, as we know, is highly volatile, as opposed to putting into a more of a... Uh, uh, not as a uh, less volatile until we screwed it up in the two thousands. The housing industry, it's a less volatile. You know that's less volatile. So people were overspending. They were leveraging themselves, kind of like they're leveraging themselves now with credit card debt. The, he Hoover had a fantastic economy. It was called the Roaring Twenties because the war was over and people were thrilled, and there was spending and there was invention and there was uh, that was and and so it was fascinating to see. And then within less than a year, the economy through unforeseen circumstances, kind of like we're seeing with COVID takes a complete dump and it is, it's, it's, it's pretty rough out there. They do say in the book that people went about their business, but there were lots and lots of unemployed people. People were then living in, everything became Hoover. So well, like the Hoovervilles, right. That yeah, they was had those Hoover, little
1: shanty towns, right. right. They were made out of like cardboard boxes. And like then they would actually, and they had, were homeless, and they spread
0: right. disease and the problem, cause they had no running water, no electricity. And the problem is <clears throat> then people wanted them removed. So they removed them and then they built them back up with all the trash. Um, but it was, it was just fascinating to see the parallel of like Hoover trying to live this denial, but not really doing a lot about it. And, um, Similar to what Trump was doing and, uh, and ultimately I, I want to get to the fast food thing, but so then everything became Hoover. You had kids that were leaving their homes, their families, because they, they felt guilty because they were a mouth to feed. And so they left their families. And they hit the road and they thought it would be adventurous and a lot of them died because they got into situations, whether they were trying to jump on rail cars that were moving and they misjudged. So so they, is
1: this kind of where like like hobos started?
0: That was yes, that was the hobos. And then the rail car, the railway systems didn't want those people on there for whatever reason. And so they hired bulls, security guards, and to beat. And the bulls just did whatever they were going to do. So they beat these people. Some they killed. Some of them they shot them. You know that there was very high risk of being on the road. And then at some of the train depots, there were like hobo uh, collectives, co-ops, where people were living, and people would create hobo stew and and all this stuff. But it, um, you know, it was it was fascinating to see the parallel. I, but I, but here's the other thing that I will say, and I think this brings us full circle. Um, and then, and then, of course, let me just finish that. So ultimately, what happens is an upstate uh, governor, Franklin Roosevelt, I can't remember if he was governor or he saw that he thought he had created a solution in New York that could help his constituents live through this Great Depression time. And he thought to himself, you know what? what if I could bring this to the gut, to the nation? What if I could bring some of these solutions? He created a solution there. And he's like, what could, what if, what if, what if I could do that? And, um, and that's ultimately, obviously what, you know, when he was elected, that's what he did. And he showed that there was the power of good governance and that you could create these government programs and they weren't evil, but they would help a lot of people in times of need. And it was a power that was greater than what the state could provide. But I, well, was- that's
1: when they got into to. i I'm, I'm blanking now cause it's early, but, but when he started creating like, the workers to for roads and right all the, develop- the civilian
0: I mean, conservation corps and
1: and the yeah, park and the, and the uh, yeah. national preserves and all the national things. park
0: system and he created he created all that you know and we have him to thank my grandfather hated Roosevelt because he was a staunch Republican and he thought Roosevelt was going to ruin the country with socialism and I and a lot of people thought that they thought this guy's a socialist and we're heading down the wrong road
1: well what's interesting is he also put artists to, I think. I think there were artists like Jackson Pollock that was supported yeah, by right. but some of these pro, these art <clears throat> programs for these guys, well, for, na- I mean, how, for national Dude, art how programs. many times
0: have they tried to, how many times have the Republicans in the last 40 years tried to slash the budget for the National Endowment for the Arts? The NEA, are you kidding me? I mean, we're not talking about like, We're not talking about it's the it's the budget for the free money organization that just hands out hundred dollar bills on the corner to everybody. We're talking about people who have decided to live a very austere life in the pursuit of creativity and bringing something beautiful to the world. And you want to trash it? Well, because it's promoting anti-biblical themes. Okay, I mean, isn't that the construct of a free society that we can, in fact, D- agree to disagree and we can, and maybe it causes us to re-examine our beliefs. But anyway, it so, so, get, mean, so
1: get back down to, so we have Rosa coming in. Where, where does the fast food come in? <laughs> so the fast food
0: to me comes in because I was just saying that the hobos, that there, there was a predominant theme throughout this and it was the theme of stretching, stretching food. So they would use fillers to stretch food. Oh. and so for instance if you had a f- if, if they love so they talk about one of the earliest soup kitchens was out right here in chicago and capone started one uh the gangster al capone and he they, started a soup kitchen he started a soup kitchen well i mean you know I the thing it. is guy so, like that though he he knows he knows where his he knows that if he's good to people it's almost like a a ruling dictator you know they know capone was the dictator in chicago you, it, was, it was his this neighborhood. Was, this was it was no, his neighborhood. It was Capone's town. This wasn't his neighborhood. He had the whole town. This was Capone's town. So, but the thing is that, so he, so what happened was they started to run out of in the bread lines and the soup kitchens. They started to run out of of um, bread and soup, and so you can imagine there's a guy standing there for two and a half three hours waiting to get a bowl of soup, and then he's probably going to eat a little bit of it and then bring the rest of it back to his family or whatever. And so they were run out. And so that's when soup became popular <laughs> because they could stretch soup. They could always add water to soup. Think about that. And so what I'm, and water's not a cheap filler. Water's an active ingredient that we all need for our bodies and it's nutritious. But um, of course, depending on the level of chemical composition based on pollution, but anyway, The idea is that we were first brought into the filler concept, I think, back then, and my mom still has that filler concept, you know, like, oh, we'll stretch it. You're making a sauce, you know, you can stretch that sauce. And I'm always mocking it because I'm always like, why do you want to stretch it? Then you dilute it and then you ruin the taste of it. But if you're trying to feed a family, you know, this becomes your operative. It's not, it's, it's an imperative and an operative. <laughs> and so I think that we kind of started self conditioning ourselves for this. Well, I think this is something that is very, very, um,
1: what's the subtle. It's subtle. It, it's, well, you said a miscue and I'll be honest with you. I really, what you just said to me, I think I I needed to hear it because one, I need to hear it, but I also now want to know, like, how should I handle this in this situation?
0: Well, I think we should take it apart. I don't have the immediate answer for you, but okay. I think if we
1: take it apart. So start with your so story. I was, so I was doing a class of, for adults. Uh, how many? Four. Okay. It's four. Yep. Doubles drill. Okay. And I was, I wanted to focus the next few months on reading your partner's movement from the backcourt. So when you're back towards the baseline, and they're moving. And And
0: you have a partner who is up at the service line.
1: Or or in front of the net. Or in
0: front of the net. Or moving forward. Where are they going to go
1: so that you don't... That you can read their movement after they've struck the ball before the ball is bounced on the other side to the other team. So you know, one,
0: not to run into them, (laughs) but two, what space to cover
1: where the shot is likely to come back. Right, based on your partner's movement. But also is your partner forcing the ball to you or are they baiting another shot because they stopped for a minute and left more space open for them to cover?
0: Okay, slow down, so, cowboy. So, uh, slow okay, down, cowboy. Slow <clears throat> down. No, you have to do this. Yeah, I know, I know. So you just said forcing the ball. Can you just, can you just describe yeah. that? So,
1: yeah, so if I hit a shot or my partner hits a shot in front of me, regardless of where I'm standing on the court and I start running towards the net, most club players will lob it. They'll <laughs> lob over you. But nine times out of 10, they'll hit it away from you. So if a ball is hit in front of me to the other side of the court and I run forward in front of the ball towards the net, nine times out of 10, the opposing player will hit it cross court, diagonal to my partner. I'll make it. Go. That's how like I pass to my partner. Oh, I see. So okay. my movement, it's like, <clears throat> if it, it's like a car is coming at you. You don't necessarily run into the car. You jump out of the way.
0: So I'm sorry. Take it another step back. Okay. Cause you got to the conclusion of what you're trying to do, but now let's get to the operation of what you're trying to do. You're so the conclusion of what you're trying to do is force, the ball to go back to a certain part of the court
1: where my partner is. where your
0: partner is so your partner can then, then get the ball get the ball but also hopefully either end the point or set me up or set you up to end the point it's almost like
1: in some ways volleyball yes right? no no not <clears throat> in some ways because it's right because we can't physically i can't i'm not I can't set the ball to you. Right. But or I can. If
0: by the, by virtue of how the ball came back, you can't do a smash. You know, the smash is the most famous thing in volleyball. I'm going to smash it over. But because of the, because of where you are on the court, your positioning and the angle of the ball, you can't just smash it because if you do, you'll hit it in the net or under the net. You have to wait till the, till somebody gets it. There's a pass and then that's a
1: setup. And then you can end the point. Right. right? right. But I, I think like in tennis, if we think, I think about it like passing in soccer, you can pass the ball laterally to, to, your, to your partner on your team, your teammate. Right. Baseball, you throw the ball directly to... The other player on your team. The reason in why tennis, I'm saying this so is so because, I think it a pass. No, because in
0: tennis, I think most players don't think like this. No, they don't. They just <laughs> think I'm across the net, I'm just gonna keep hitting the ball. <laughs> That's my job. I'm just here yes. to hit I'm just here to hit the ball. I hit, I hit ball. Right? It's that basic. I don't think people think like this. And I think if more people thought like this, the, the game would be interest, more interesting. You'd probably win
1: more points. Well, I'll tell you what it'd be more interesting also. If you have this pass concept. And let's say you're playing with a player, you know, I'm a coach that tries to teach in the real world as far as how club players move and play, not elite players. So I think there's a lot of coaches that are like, well, you do this, I I don't know if that's the right concept. And you're like, but all they do is lob and they don't move and they stay on the baseline that that's their, that's their one shot this is how they've been playing for 30 years you're i don't care what you say because you played elite tennis come up come up come up come up come up no 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 they've been trying to come up for 30 years you're not going to make them do it this is their game so why not
0: just make them happy with
1: or, or work in the context of that right yeah so here's the deal though if i'm playing with somebody like that and their best shot's a lob and they're not gonna come off the baseline and the other team is storming the net constantly because they were told to rush and crush you got a Russian crush but they hit they <laughs> I don't hit that
0: Russian crush. yeah
1: right but ready but they hit a ball that's like four miles an hour which is like ripe for lobbing I'll pass the ball to my partner by charging the net when the other team is hitting it to make the ball go to my partner will then in turn... So in other words, you're the ball, you're the ball. charging
0: the ball and you're hitting... Because I'm... Dr- what, no, stop. What shot are you hitting to the opponent?
1: Don't say me. Our team. Okay. One, of, one of us is hitting a shot.
0: But in this the, case, it's, the, it's you setting up your partner. So I'm just asking you what shot... I'm, no, I'm
1: not setting up my... I'm, I'm oh, passing okay. the ball. guys say different... The setup shot is when you hit it. I didn't hit the ball. The other team passed the ball to my partner because of my movement. it's so fascinating to think
0: about. I never think about it as the other team passing the ball. For me. That's bizarre. <laughs> I like, I, I, I've played tennis for a long time and I never think about it. So like,
1: you could say to me, hey, say it differently, right? Hey, Sully, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, I'm going to hit the ball cross court You're on the, to the deuce. I'm, you're on the deuce. Yeah. The, the opponent's deep on the deuce. Mm. And, I, and you say to me, hey, I want you to make the ball go to me got it so how do i do that you hit a shot where i'm moving aggressively towards the net they're not going to hit it to me because they know i have a good volley
0: oh so, that, I so get then it.
1: they're going to avoid mm-hmm. me so the avoidance is the pass to you
0: they're not going to jam you they're not oh, going to they're not going not to i mean
1: some some, some dudes do it they're like oh, i gonna hit it right i'm going to see if you can volley so they rip it at you and you're like got it and they're like okay Next time I'm gonna go <laughs> next time I'll pass it for you over to, to Claude.
0: But this is in a
1: particular instance where you, you charge
0: the net, you're not even hitting a shot. You're forcing them to make a shot. And that sets up your opponent. Sets us so, up. I'm sorry, sets your up your teammate.
1: To do something for us. To two.
0: do something positive, to, to try to either then either try for a winner or
1: another setup shot. Another for me. setup shot for for end you it. to end it. Yeah.
0: So in that case, just to carry this through if you charge the net and then they pass it to your opponent, pass it. I just, I can't, I still can't I'll get over t- But it I'm that. going to
1: clarify this I, why, though. I, so I, I know no, this I is good. I,
0: no, I still can't get over the pass it concept. Because to me, I'm thinking basketball. You don't pass to your opponent. Like if you're in basketball, you're you pass to your teammate, but you don't. But in tennis, you can't do that. It's just not the way the game is played. That'd be
1: hilarious though. You hold on, or I could bump it back to you. Right, right, right. right. Here you go. <laughs>
0: like, I think you're dangerously getting close to pickle.
1: Anyway, oh <laughs> well, no, that's a new game. Right there, you go. It's like bump tennis. There you go. Tennis. We'll invent tennis. <laughs> so, so So
0: you hit the. So I just want to. So your opponent. So you charge. You're wrestling the, they have with this the ball. concept. Honey. No, no, no. I know. But they have. So you they have the ball. They're hitting. They're about to hit the ball. The balls come over the net from your side. You charge the net. You want to see or you already know that they will not force it on you. They will hit it away from you toward your opponent, which is great. No, to, to your to, partner. To, I'm sorry, to your partner. They will hit it away from you to your partner. Then your partner has one of two options. They can either try to go for a winner depending on his positioning on the court, if he's off his COG or Or, 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 team,
1: or what his intent was. Or what right? his intent
0: was. But, I mean, if you're a double team, you're probably trying to run a play at some level. This is the play. This is the play. Okay. So now uh, your partner will lob it is what you're saying uh, maybe okay let's just say let's take that scenario he lobs it over to the other side now what
1: now i'm getting ready to whatever i mean it's just, likely to come back no I'm no but again you, you're, okay. you you keep extending this into that you're making this more complicated than it is okay because we're going to deal with the other players are. all i'm saying is you're having a bad day, or, or you're not having a bad day, and you want the ball to go to your partner. If you think of it as a pass mentality, it, right. I think it shows right. that then you're not gonna touch the ball. Right. So many club players because they're running to the net, I should get this, as their momentum is going to the left, The ball is going to the right and then they think they can like inspector gadget, (laughs) dislocate their arm and throw it there from your arm socket, your shoulder and reach the ball behind themselves. And they wouldn't, but I I, I think this is fascinating
0: too, because I think there's a big assumption. I know I would have done it as a tennis player when I was younger is that, well, I'm not going to, if I, if I rush the net, then I'm for sure going to get the ball. And actually it's the opposite. You rush the net, they're like, Oh, hold on. <laughs> That's he's he's large he's
1: ready for this. I'm I'm gonna go away from him. Okay, and so think of it this way too, right? A setup shot is something that either gets your opponent off their COG, their center of gravity, makes them uh, lurch, arch, mm-hmm. or tip to the side. Reach. Reach, sure. And get handsy. And then once somebody goes off their C O G, right? Most shots gravitate to the middle 20 feet of the court, right. of the net. Right. So approach is the right. coverage for, With, yeah. In anything, mm-hmm. right? Or, which doesn't need to be a heavy shot, but if it's low enough and tips them out or brings them wide, that's usually where it goes. Or let's say my, my partner has a monster forehand and, and I don't have a great down the line shot, right? Or vice versa. Let's say I'm on the cross court and they're down the line from the shot Of the person that's hitting it on the other side and i'm like you know what i got a light shot but if i attack but i got a really good put away volley i can really get up there so in the course of a point don't get so literal in the course of a point the ball comes to me right and i hit it light and i storm the net my partner should know oh he's doing pattern he's doing plan c okay now we're like in this default Australian formation where I'm almost like moving towards a net strap. My partner's deep on the, on the ad side, so he's back. And then the opponent, instead of lobbying me, it's one of two options, right? They're either going to lobby me cross court or go down the line. So they decide to go down the line, which is what we, we wanted one of those scenarios. And then he just unloads on it. And oh, your look, partner unloads and, on right, it. Right. And yeah. he's got a monster forehand <clears throat> and he's a lefty. Right. guess what? It's I just got the line. Yeah. And then if they get that ball, it's going to careen back. It's going to float middle. back
0: up because they're going to be off their COG and it's but, likely going to be a block shot.
1: And it's going to come back to the middle 20 and right. I'll be able to slam to it down, it down yeah. and put it away. Right. But that's all, but I made that happen with my movement. Right. I'm not, I'm not waiting to see what happens. I'm forcing shots. It's so funny because I
0: don't think most tennis players I'm, going out on a limb here no you're right i don't think most tennis players think about um, tactics or strategy and tactics that
1: involve not no possession of the ball (laughs) so or you mean hitting the ball without the intent of hitting it
0: what i mean is is that your tactic right there in court positioning by rushing the net did not include you with the ball.
1: No, but I'm manipulating the other team.
0: I know, but what I'm saying is I don't think tennis players think about
1: that. Do you know why? Because most club players, you have to be be specific club players think and play reactive tennis. They're not playing proactive tennis. They're reacting to a ball that's been hit. And a lot of the things that we do, and I can only speak from my experience where I've been, is we do things where we teach players to react to balls <clears throat> at the, because it's harder to teach, which is easier to teach than teaching somebody how to hit the shot. So
0: it's like... Well, wait a minute. How to hit the shot is a reaction. I think we're...
1: No, 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 no. You, you, you're, you haven't been around drilling enough. Okay. Drilling is, I'm going to feed a... Dr- the pro feeds the drop shot. Oh, it's short. Run for it. Oh, I lobbed you. Now this is what you go. Switch. Mine. Yours. It's all, but it's always coming from the pros. Not, this is not everybody. I'm just saying some. this is the way some coaches coach, and I'm not saying it's wrong. There's, there's, there's a reason for all of it. Of course. But when you teach. Teach a technique. Teach a whatever. But they're not teaching a technique. You, okay. It's hard to teach a technique in a class right. because you should go out and try to teach a backhand slice to a club player good luck in a class. You wanna see everybody quit? Just give that class. <laughs> okay. and, they, and they just dump it in the net, 4, 000, all of them 4,000 right. times. They're demoralized and, they're, and they thought it was easy, right? It's not. And so the, uh, we teach this reactive tennis versus teaching people to think that what you're doing on the other side of the court when the other team is hitting the ball is directly impacting their choices, ready? So this is what I find really interesting. When a person hits a ball and hits a winner, I'll say to them in a drill, oh, why, why did you do that? Well, because she moved over here and it was open. And I'll say, so you based your shot on what? Oh, what they were doing. And I was like, okay, rotate, move around, and we're playing, and then the per- they'll do the exact same movement the other person did get, get smoked and I'll say, why didn't you get that? To that same person. Same, who who, the who winner. Our, and, and they'll <laughs> say, well, I didn't know where it was going. And I'll say, but you just told me that you chose that shot based on what your opponent was doing. So wouldn't that, and Because so that would have been based on her movement and her positioning. So wouldn't it stand to reason that she's doing the same thing, and if she is, don't you already know where the ball may go? This tells you your coverage zone. I don't see it. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, but, but you just told me that you based, so, there's, so they don't see it. They're, and we take this for granted. And I'm, this is not like one incident. This is like- No, over, no, no. I, there's I, a huge, I know this
0: is a tennis player. There's a I huge
1: yeah. disconnect right. between somebody hitting a ball and then somebody on the side understanding.
0: And I don't want to do, de- I don't want to derail us too much here. No, no, but this I, is a good conversation. A, well, no, I have a, so <clears throat> the, this is, you're probably going to nail this as one of the old school aphorism, aphorisms that have been around forever and a day that need to go away. But, you know, when they always say, get back to the middle, <laughs> the I, the thought is, is that you're in a neutral position. Well, that's singles.
1: You're talking singles.
0: Right? right. But the thought is, is that you're in a neutral position, right? And that you'll be able to get either way. But actually, there's, they've long debunked that. And they're like, actually, you don't want to be right in the middle. You want to no, be. No, you're lining
1: your positions on the cross court from that. But also, ready? The way you're moving, even in singles, impacts, ready? So you have what the ball is doing and what was hit to you. Right and then there's your movement to the ball to hit that, then you make your choice I think we just now, don't now and now your recovery <clears throat> is all, and your shot the way you're recovering after you hit the shot is impacting the Can I just say, of say that of we, your opponent. this is i
0: I think we've just uncovered an absolute uh oil well because i because 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 the thing is that um. I think this is one of the number one reasons we're failing tennis so much. Tennis is failing. Tennis is failing because it's not, we we spend all this time conditioning and training and reacting, and reacting and reacting and reacting and reacting. And we do it over and over again. And then we convince our and the problem we convince ourselves that we're great tennis players, but really we're great at making some certain movements. But the reality is that when you take that out and you put that into a, it doesn't even have to be a tournament it could be a match it could be whatever just playing a point for legit points serving and returning the reality is is that we we're starting from scratch we're like woefully deficient on this and i don't think and i know this is hard to teach but I think this is what we need to be teaching, because the thing is, we're not teaching balanced tennis. I mean, that's really what we're saying here, isn't it? We're not teaching balanced tennis. Well, Balance meaning there's you're saying there's two sides to this. There's the proactive side, and there's the reactive side. And we're spending untold amounts as a player grows in maturity from starting at three, four, five, all the way up to, you know, 25 In their maturity, at least we're just talking those types of players, not people who came later in life. But the point is, is that we're we continually teach reactive tennis. There's a ball. Hit it. 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 Okay, we we got
1: we got it. We got it. No, but but it's it's not. It's it's I think it's even. I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but. It's silently subversive because it seems like- insidious. Ah, that's the word, thank you. Good horror movie. It's insidious because, and not intentionally, again, this is not, again, not a conspiracy, but when people want to get in, get out, and they want an answer, they want the easy button, lob goes up, switch, right? But what if the lob- goes over your you're on the deuce side, over your and over your left ear, but it's not really behind you. And it's a shallow lobby you can't get now you're standing directly in front of your partner who's about to hit, I mean, sometimes I've seen that. <laughs> you're gonna I, get a I, racket I, right no, in and face. Then, and then they turn around, like, oh my God! And, yeah. and you're like, don't turn around, <laughs> whatever, in tennis. I know, I know. But ready? But oh, except in that situation, versus the way I coach that is, watching ball flight. So if the ball is, the trajectory of the ball is coming more towards over your left ear, I actually want you to bank off the court. And they're like, want me to get off the court? Yeah, clear the space for your partner. She's coming from the ad side. She can, If she's a righty, she can take that as a forehand. She can, her, she's with her momentum. She can hit that and set you up and then you can move forward. Oh, versus switch. And now you're just running around and then your partner sends up the lob and then it becomes again. And every, and let's, I don't think any coach loves this when it becomes lob, lob fest 2021 <laughs> where everybody just starts lobbing back and forth right. nobody likes that right. and everybody cringes at it and says it but everybody does it no one's willing to do it so they say like oh i want to do that i want to really play aggressively well playing aggressively means doesn't mean hitting the ball aggressively it means your movement is aggressive well wow, hold on and
0: bef- take a step back before that it means that your brain is aggressive. And confident. So let's, let's not say aggressive. It's well, I'm just saying it's highly active. Yes. You have to be highly engaged, highly active. Oh, like if I do this, this, you're you're running almost computational scenarios in your head very quickly. <laughs> like this, that, this, that, this, that. Okay, you know, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, like they've been running commercials for the doubles playbook. You know what I mean? Like, are you, you know, as, are you letting poachable balls go by and they, and they do all this stuff? It's, you know, that's nice. That's like, that's like the, the, the magic recipe. But really what you're saying is you have to be mindful and fully engaged in the possibilities, right, and of, of what can happen here. And it's not like you can game out everything, but you're you're making simple
1: calculations. Well, and remember, and this is for anybody that's a, a club player listening to Tennis Rockers right now, based on, and I'm not being funny or snarky, math and science, it's a rectangle. It's math. And then when you add physics to it, there are certain things that are going to happen. Patterns emerge. But if you're never taught to look for the pattern, you're only, as it's happening. So once you see the opponents move and you hear the sound of your partner's shot like, oh, that's a setup shot. I can just go to the net strap. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to worry about the alley, I'm good to go, it's gonna come back to the middle 20 and I can bad mamma jamma and bad mamma jamma and put that away and everyone's like, how did you know that? Well, because of the velocity and the weight of the shot from my partner, I knew that on the rectangle, the trajectory, Inevitably it was gonna come back to the middle of the court, so I could then move forward with my momentum and hit a four hand volley off to the angle. You mock right? it. Right. But that's
0: but, that is, it. but that's what's going on. I'm not but mocking that's it. That's what you need, need to, do. to do. And if you're
1: not doing that, if you're not but you, and, you're where well, you're if hold on, If you're not th- doing order if to, you're not doing that, you know what you're not doing? <clears throat> you're not getting everything tennis can offer you. You're not actually enjoy you're enjoying the game. It's not just that. Yeah. I, okay. That. That's.
0: That's so. That's. No. <laughs> that's, what? So, that's why you that's do so it. That's so national parks. What? So much it can offer you. It's so. Oh wonderful. my god!
1: Come on.
0: Okay. I'm getting at the human frustration, and okay. I think it's okay. awesome. I think what you said is awesome, but I also think it obscures something that's much more painful. People walk away regularly from tennis, and they are like they come to bad conclusions. Well, they're just better than us. They come to or. I need to practice my forehand more or I need to, I need, I clearly need to work doubles more. No, I think what we're saying here is you need to stop practicing reactive tennis and you need to work with your coach. Slow down. This may take, it may take you four to six to eight lessons. Get one play or whatever you want to call it scenario down because then once you get that one down it's kind of like the seed you'll be like so then when other situations come up you'll you'll your your mental muscles will be ready for this and you'll be like okay wait a second i've got to slow this down i've got to learn to be proactive tennis and how am i going to do that in this case so i'm saying is like it when you say all that tennis has to offer i think it's awesome i think it's true but it doesn't get at the pain point that people feel so when you play a doubles match and you walk off the court and you've lost and you are just like god i've got more skill than they do and i don't understand these people are moonballers or they're whatever, and they're whatever. But maybe, maybe just maybe, not everybody, but maybe some of them have taken the time to learn to be proactive tennis players. So they've gamed out at least one play or two plays where that shuts your game down that shut your game down <laughs> yeah, so no matter no, so, no, right. so no matter how many thousands of balls you've hit and no matter how much doubles you've practiced and no matter if you got the best coach in the entire listen in this region he's the best coach he should be able to teach me i got news for you you're not you're doing react, unless that coach or unless you are doing practicing proactive tennis you you're really just doing reactive
1: tennis over and over again. Well, I think also doubles is the great equalizer. Whereas singles, you, you got to move. I mean, you, you, need, you need the movement for sure. But there's still you, elements of proactivity in singles.
0: Yeah, I don't want to lose
1: that. No, but what I'm saying though is, is that dou- doubles is, you don't need, you can have a very truncated, weird, stroke game and, and know the game inside and out with your movement being pro if you think of that if you're proactive you're controlling the point based on your you're manipulating the other team that has nothing to do with how big your are i've there's a woman that plays at our club if you looked at her strokes you'd be like that defies physics <laughs> and 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 she wins all the time. Why, why is she that, is so why, no, no, smart? Just can you
0: give us an example? What yeah. is, what do you mean by her stroke defying physics?
1: M- meaning, like she has a very truncated forehand. It's like everything's an undercut slice. Um, she doesn't really hit out. She hits very softly. She's an ugly player. It just it just she doesn't look. She's de- she lo- deceivingly look. Uh, she is deceivingly good. Yes, because she looks unathletic and ready. She's in her 70s and she's playing against 50-year-olds and she wins, wins, wins. And not like garbage tennis either. So I I don't want to think, like, it's not... What she'll do is she she, but she moves well. You don't think she's going to because her personality is very, like, chill. She's a
0: sandbagger. Nice.
1: No, she's smart.
0: I'm just saying she... Oh,
1: oh, when she you, plays
0: it low, you know, yeah, but,
1: like, but she's not in, intentionally like that. Yeah, she's, yeah. That's her personality. Right. But people thought at more athletic ones are running around and they, they might be younger and a little faster, but she moves well and she anticipates and she understands that when she cuts left on that shot that she hit off to the angle, it's going to go here. She's already there. So it's the illusion that she's faster. She just, knows the, she, doesn't know, she just knows exactly where to go, when to go there, and she has really good timing. So I'll say to my students sometimes, you know, being early is not always the best thing in tennis. Being late is definitely not. This is like an on-time sport. You need to be there right at the right moment or it doesn't really work well. She is there right on time most of the time, if not all the time. And you're, it's a wonder to watch because you, then you watch her serve. And you're like, oh my God, that looks horrible. She's like the best player <laughs> like for 30 years. It's crazy. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. It's doubles is that great equalizer at the club level that you don't need to hit the ball at 100 miles an hour. But if you can play proactive and understand the math, the movement, and the science of it and how this all impacts what goes on you can move more efficiently. So if you're not someone with really good mobility, you're like, oh, three steps and I know where to go. Or you can hit the shot and have your partner move a certain way that creates a situation that you can do. And I love it when my students that have been with me now a long time, they've, they do this now where they'll say, that's what we wanted, like awesome. Or if they got what they wanted and the other team wins the point. What did they do? They got what they wanted, so who controlled the point? So who's on offense, who's they on defense? They still won even
0: though they lost the point.
1: Right, so now <laughs> it's an acceptable loss. And that's what we talk about a lot is that right. well, you got what you wanted and now applaud them. They they got their they got their shot. You said I want let me see what you got and they shot on your goal and they got it in. That's what makes it exciting.
0: It's interesting for you to say that because I also think that that's a great way to emotionally balance yourself because what you're doing then, instead of sitting there going, "Ah, oh, come on, come on, we got this. Uh, We got this. Yeah, we, we could do this. You know, instead, you're like, no, we executed on the we executed on the play exactly the way we wanted to. It's just they anticipated better or they were able to pull off a shot. We'll see if they can do it again. But the point is, is that it takes a lot of the emotional roller coaster out of it. Because otherwise, you know, tennis can be a very emotional game. I mean, they say golf is emotional, but tennis can be very emotional because you've worked for so long on these reactive shots, right? And you're like, listen, I know, I know that when I, I could take that ball anytime, you know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden you're in this game especially in doubles but you're in this game and and your opponents do something that causes you to lose and you and you're still running your play and you still get emotional because then you're like well wait a minute i ran my i, I know i've got my shots i know i ran my play and whatever but from what you're saying is like look you ran your play they just now it deepens the analysis now it just deepens the analysis. Now it's it's not emotional. You don't sit there and go, God, I stink. My forehand's still. Look at that. I wasn't able. And it's not, God, our play is bad. It's, no. Oh, you know what? My technique is what it is. It's good. Maybe this, I'm a little short on it. We ran our play, but they anticipated a little bit better. They did something a little bit whatever. And you know what? We got to see if they can do it again. We're going to try to run that play.
1: Uh-uh. Did they get lucky? Right. Right. So fully emotion. fully once, do it a second time. Then they rip it and you're like, oh, okay. That wasn't a mistake. Right. They didn't get lucky. How about this one then? You say to your partner, okay, we're going to run the same play, but hit it to her backhand. I, I, I can't do that. I'm not that accurate. Okay. Let's run a different play. Right. 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 right? So now, yeah. now that now it's becoming like Sudoku. I mean, it's really like the devil's in the details at this point. Right. Right. Now you're like, right. Okay, now if we can get that shot right to that backhand, I I right. don't think she's got her,
0: this forehand's The setup and this shot. is so funny because you know I think people look at tennis with tennis eyes to a certain degree. There's always these emotional and mental assumptions when they see it being played. So when you see baseball being played, you're automatically cued because you've been conditioned that okay, he's going to take his time. He's reading the he's reading the catcher. He's trying to figure out what 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 ball he's going to. Pitch to the batter, and all right, I'm cool with it. You know,
1: they're they're not like, come on, come on, just pick a pitch and throw it, okay? He just just, well, well, just the, do it. Well, the, well, the catcher. Right. Well, you know what the you know what all catchers say? No. What's what's the smartest position on the field? I. It's the catcher. What's the dumbest position on the field? The catcher. No. Oh. The pitcher. Okay. The pitcher doesn't make the calls. The pitcher can shake off the calls. the The smartest person on the field is the catcher because they need to know all the batting averages and they need to know who's coming up and what they they have to study what their favorite pitches are they have to they have to have a rolodex old school or a database in their head about every single batter so when they come up the catcher is signaling it's like hey i want this kind of pitch and then the pitcher pitcher is going "Mm, i don't know if i can do that right now no i don't feel good with that Right, so this this is going back and forth. So then the catcher is like, okay, if you can't do that, you got to try this, because this batter, try this if one. you give this batter that other pitch, we're dead. Is it? Hold on, <clears throat> isn't that like doubles? That's a symbiotic relationship between catcher and pitcher, right? And what are they doing? They're basing, wait, hold on. When yep. you say,
0: I just want to keep the analogy clean, I think you're talking about opposing teams, the symbiotic relationship. But are you talking about no, the same team? This,
1: there are, so a catcher and a pitcher is the same thing as a doubles team together. Okay. Right? Got it. Here's no, one. I know it right, is. Right, I'm at the net. Yeah. You, you're serving. Hey, I want this serve to go right to the tee. I, I, I can't do that. All right. Can you, can, you, can you kick it out wide? And then I'll, I'll do this. Got it. So you're the pitcher, right? I'm, I'm the guy signaling you with the net. So I'm the catcher. And then instead of catching the ball, I'm going to slam it after you after you pitch it. Right. I get to hit your pitch, right? Coming right. back, right? But I think I'm glad you brought the baseball analogy because I had the privilege of going to the College World Series with my uh, my ex brother in law was uh, I went to Cumberland College. He was a catcher, and I hated baseball up to that point. not because I hated baseball. My dad just ruined it for me Uh, because he tried to coach me. (laughs) He tried to coach me, right? And just was not a good coach. He didn't mean to be mean, but he just was. He got frustrated easily. And we went and he had to scope out every single team. Your brother-in-law walked. I went with him. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, I know this guy. And he, he, and he had a little notebook and he was, he had the stats. He knew what, what they hit he was watching the other pitchers and what they were throwing he was he was so funny i didn't didn't know i
0: I didn't know the pressure was so much on the catcher there's incredible pressure because it's really everybody uh, could everybody uh, could blame the catcher then i was always thinking that it was the it
1: was the pitcher who was freestyling it up there it blew my mind i have such a different respect for baseball at this point right and he's like dude it's a game of anticipation it's like you're on edge every time with every throw. You're like, is he going to hit it? Is he going to hit it? Right. Right. And and that's, and that's the difference, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, From, I think other sports, it's, you got, you might miss it. You might miss it, which is, which makes you pay attention. And I think in a weird way, having the jumbotron is a bad thing for baseball because they'll replay it. There's something about like, you're going to miss it. So when I, they're basing, the catcher and pitcher are basing everything on prior knowledge of what this batter does and the kind of pitches he, he can handle or not handle. Right. And they've got to figure out what that combo is in order to get them to either, the goal isn't to strike them out. The goal from what he, and I could be wrong. So if there's a, a pitcher, catcher team out there or a baseball coach, correct me. I don't, this is what I remember. He told me. The goal isn't to strike you out. The goal is to get you to um hit an infield a in, in, uh, shot in the infield so we can throw you out at first. Boom, boom boom or or pop up. That's what we want. We're not trying to throw strikes. If a strike happens, that's okay.
0: That's so fascinating. I would have thought it would have been just that because then you because then you lessen your risk even more cuz if if you once that ball leaves that batter's bat for an infield sh- uh, hit, you increase the likelihood of error, because but, who knows if it hits if it hits something in the ground and pops up funny or whatever, you increase your error. The guy's got an itch, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I would have thought that would be. But think how hard it
1: is to actually hit a good <laughs> ball in baseball. It's real. I mean- it's a right. round cylinder with a round ball. It's coming at like 90 <laughs> miles an hour. Good luck. Regular, yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a timing thing. Yeah, that too. Well, it's... it's yeah. So I think it goes to... Sh- but we don't think about tennis that way. That's... Here's one. What way?
0: Wait, stop. Before you go on, we don't think about tennis in what way? Just so Making I'm...
1: Making a play up at the club level. Right. I, I don't see it. It's not prevalent. If it is happening, there's... It's not... But,
0: but but I have to say this because this is so critical. Everybody says plays and doubles and then they leave it at that. It's like they leave that at the doorstep. But what we're talking about here is is beyond that. Meaning you've it's not as simple as <laughs> I open up a bo- I open a box of 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 crackers and I put one in my mouth and now I'm full. You open up the box of crackers, you put them on the plate, but now you've got to figure out who's going to eat what and how it's going to go and 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 so what we're talking about here is you're okay say you put out three different types of crackers on the plate well <clears throat> now what they only you know they they only went for that one type of cracker you got these other two left now you're about to run out of crackers i mean this is this is minor this seems silly like an analogy but what i'm saying is, is you're talking about okay this is the play we're gonna run but while we're, running, while we're in the throes of doing that, we need to be practicing proactive tennis, right? <laughs> so we right, need to so be,
1: when you start running your play, <clears throat> there's a series of this kind of shot will yield this. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, that's not the shot that can have us run the play. Right. That was a bad pitch. Right. Got it. So <laughs> both,
0: So both you and your teammate have to be really dialed in, not just engaged in what you're doing, but you have to be dialed into what the plays look like. And you have to be of the same mindset. So really, when you have a doubles partner, you've got to be really like, you both have to be really engaged, not just
1: in what's going on, but you have to be knowledgeable and engaged. And you have to be practicing proactive tennis. So one thing I teach adults at any age, I like the formations. And some other coaches have been like, why are you teaching that? And I see adults that play, will play one up, one back for, th- for 30 years, 35 years. And I'm like, you know, you could do eye formation. Right. What about Australian? Right. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. And you're like, why? I've seen the pros do it. Why can't you do it? Yeah. The more and, tools you have in your toolbox. But, but, but right. And it's, well, she, your opponent is prone to distraction. So eye formation is a great way to do it. And I, Hey, stop. Stop. Are you going to call Why
0: here? is eye formation beneficial in the face I, I was of about, an opponent? Let's tell you. Okay, good. Thank, you. Gonna, okay,
1: Thank good. you. Just wanted to make sure okay. before you went on. So, eye formation would be where if I'm serving, I'll serve from the singles by the center mark, singles, and my partner will be up by the net strap. Okay. So we're like in an I formation, and you want your the opposing team, it's recommended that you receive two back because if your partner is up, you're reducing, your partner's blocking a cross-court shot by you standing, by them standing there. So it opens up other angles for you that you can, it gives you more options. I, have a, I joke with my students, When I was 25, I'd be at the net strap really low. But wait,
0: Why does that work with a distracted opponent? I'm not
1: there. Oh, my God. Can I finish my thought? No. I'm a New Yorker. It takes me time. It takes me a time. Hang in there with me. It's a podcast. People people are used to being long. Right. So I'm up. I'd get closer when I was younger because I want to be able to just nail that, put it away. When I was 35... I'm back further. So I call it like the wide eye, meaning I, I'm further back. And it's based on years of watching adults, older adults, how they hit, trajectory. And mm-hmm. when somebody, the main issue with eye formation, I'm going to go with one of the issues with it and then why I teach it. It's usually the, one, the net person's word about getting hit as an adult. Oh, they're going to hit me with the ball. But nobody serves hard enough that, I mean, it doesn't really matter. No one's serving at like 120, right? <laughs> and and yeah, if anything, sure. it's in your butt. So it's, all right, you're going to be fine. It's not, But just don't turn around, right? The server then freaks out that they're going to hit their their partner. So the wide eye does one of two things. I usually have them about five feet in front of the tee with a split stance where one leg's in front of the other, and they're just dropping a couple inches. That's also from a server's point, trajectory. It's about the highest the highest point of the trajectory coming down to the, to the service box. So it's actually a safer spot. Now, there's limitations to that also because they're further back, but what it does is it gives the net person some, a little bit more comfortability about being up there. Now, they're going to signal before the server serves, the net person's going to signal if they're going to move left or right towards the net when, the, when their partner serves. So when they hear the serve and they start moving, what is the person who's receiving that's prone to distraction focused on? They're focused on the serve, right? And? They're not focused on the
0: where the other guy is. No, they
1: are. They're watching both. <clears throat> oh, okay. Because the opponent is moving at the same time the ball is moving. So the person that's prone to distraction has to focus on two things at once. And then they hit the frame again. This is where an elite coach would go. That's not what happens. You're right at the college level. That's not what happens in real world club land. That is what happens. Oh my God. It's so distracting. Yeah. That's why we're doing it because because people are thinking about their personal lives and no, they're not trained professionals. These are not, these are club players. These are not people that have spent 20 years at competing every single weekend in, in a tournament for 12 hours, right, in college. This this is let's get with the program coaches. These are these are adults. I'm talking at the club level, right? I would teach younger people, and again, I'm being very specific about our our audience right now, who we're we're coaching right now. So I'm just saying that these are options. Now, what does this do? It opens up the mindset for these students that are like, oh, you know, I'll do eye formation. I, I, I know Bobby's always looking up. So if I, the more I move, the more she'll look up, and the more she looks up, the more she's off balance. So I'm going to do that. Yeah, I don't even have to hit the ball. So hold on.
0: This is why you have to talk things through. Now I understand where you're coming from. Okay. If we had said this right from the beginning, <clears throat> I think I would have gotten it better. But now I know what you're saying. So what you're really saying is. The I formation can be a little bit, which is great for your, for your opponents, because it can be confusing because they don't know where you're going to be. They have to be paying attention to two things at once. And that's why the I formation helps because the I formation is like, now you've complicated the brain processing and particularly for people who are not used to having to do this. It throws them off. And That's why you use the I formation because you're not in a set position. Your partner on the double side is not in a set position. They're in a floating position and that floating position will cause confusion to the opponent because even if it's momentarily, because they're like, wait a second, I don't know if they're going to the deuce or the ad or they're just going to stay up the net in the center line. I don't know what's going to happen and now I got to pay attention to the serve which could go wide, body T, whatever. And now I also got to pay attention to this guy because I don't know where my zone of coverage is where I've got an open spot where I can nail the ball.
1: And the returner was taught what type of tennis? Reactive tennis. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of shot are they going to hit? If they're reacting after the ball hits and they're watching two things at once, in order to have handled the eye, you would have had been taught proactive tennis where you're reading the server's body language you know that they're an eye, and you've already determined i'm going to hit it here this is where i'm going to hit it no matter what happens <laughs> if they go to the right that's it that's where i planned if they're not I'm going.
0: They're taught reactive tennis, so that's
1: <clears throat> so that's
0: not what they do. Not even close. They then change what they're going to do, and they basically screw up everything. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like it's kind of like they're for for to keep it simple. It's kind of like you know we're making a cake together. We're making a cake, and all of a sudden I sit there and I go I go Ooh, this would be great. Let's put some fresh ginger in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like. Uh, I don't think so I think, you know <clears throat> Or you grab for You grab for the fresh ginger Because it's all fresh ground up ginger And it looks like What does it look like? It looks like natural sugar That hasn't been dyed And you're like Oh, well, I'll just put this I'll just put the sugar in here Because it's that granulated brown sugar the, the healthier sugar So you put Or whatever, it's not healthier But, you know You put it in there And you and they're like Huh and, so, and then you make the cake And all of a sudden You taste the batter And you go Oh my god What the hell is in there? You're like, oh, that was the fresh ginger. We grabbed that instead of the the, the 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 brown granulated sugar. Oh, well, we gotta throw that one out now. Right? I mean, isn't that really in some ways weirdly analogous to what the what's happening? Because you're
1: not paying attention. You're like you're like, ooh, I was, you know, and Because and also it's a monkey wrench in your visual and how you're in your processing because all you've been looking at if everyone's only doing classic formation one up one back and that's all you see. There's a comfortability within the context of that. Right. And also how you use your weapons, reactive or proactive. It doesn't matter. It's so funny. So really what you're saying though
0: is in some ways changing your formation alone can be
1: a strategy without ever hitting a ball. And I teach yes, and I teach my students also, I encourage them that these are suggest these formations based on math and science, again, have proven that they yield these mathematical results for the ball and trajectory. However, if you're playing with the wonder kind, 80-year-old, 7 year old woman that is just defying physics and knows, can read and anticipate, make up your own formation. Because then what you're doing is you're teaching them to think, to critically think and say, mm-hmm. you know what? This is not going well. We need to do something really different. And so I, so sometimes some coaches, I think I'm I'm inferring here because some of my drills look ridiculous. They will look over and be like, that has nothing to do with tennis. I'm not teaching actually tennis at that, that point. I'm teaching a mindset. And I think that was what was happening. A lot of my drills, some, you know, I, I try to have my drills where I want the concept grasped. And then if I feel like everybody has the concept, we can work from there because then it's freeing. You have to be able to troubleshoot. And this is
0: interesting because this takes us full circle to what we started with, which we never really got to, which is you teaching this doubles class uh, with with your women. And you were trying to get across a
1: certain a, a certain play. The play was the back person reading the movement of your mm. partner who's in front of you right. to anticipate mm. where the other team may go. Right. And, and specifically, because based on her movement, right? Or his movement. So the person in front is moving and their momentum's going one way on a light shot and they keep running in towards the shot that they hit, nine times out of 10, not all the time, the other opponent will go away from them. So the ball's going to you. And this is where you go, slide over here. Right. And my student could not understand, based on the way I set the drill up, it wasn't in a doubles formation. It was one back at the center mark, one behind her. So we're in an I formation on the baseline, and then two on the other side on the baseline spread out. So there was two back on the one side, and then the team I was feeding was the I formation single file on the baseline and I fed a ball and short and the front girl has to, woman has to run out. And if she hit it down the line in front of herself and she followed it, then you would, the person in back would slide to the, to their left and be on the ant side. Or if she went cross court and her momentum was going that way, she had options then mm-hmm. whether to keep going or stop. You you know, and so the back person was like, I I don't, when would this ever happen like this? And I said, well, this happens all the time, but she was fixated on. So hold
0: on. That was the first clue. I want to go slow-mo here as a coach student relationship. That was the first clue. Ding, ding, ding. That she was now not, um, she was now not accepting what you were saying. Okay. And when she's not accepting it, you got to read the clues okay. because it's, it's, it's telling you something. It's telling you that she may not be open to your message at all <clears throat> and you're going to have to
1: figure out what to do. So then go on. So then you, okay, I'm just, I'm listening to what you're saying because this is because the next step is like, how do I get this to happen? Cause I need everybody on the same page. Right. Like I try to get all my drills. So they're interchangeable with each other. I meaning right. they could all play with each other.
0: Right. But then, this. but then you, you, you answered her and So, so
1: I said, this actually happens all the time. And she goes, well, when? Right. So that's the second clue. It's <laughs> the second,
0: that's the second little like, Hey, bing, bing, bing. So, but I
1: did realize on the second clue, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're actually clarifying this for me now. I realized, Oh, I'm with the concept She's with the structure of it, the way it looked. It doesn't feel like tennis to her. Like, this doesn't feel like a. Where, where, when would we be standing in these positions? And I said, Well, with every eye formation on the baseline to start a point, no, that would not happen. It, it, I mean, it could have. You could do it, right? If you have that open mindset, you could do it. I don't know if it's going to be the most efficient way to play a point, to start a point. But I realized that it has to literally look like a double setup, specifically in a classic double setup because any other, any other situation or, or setup that's not that, there's a, I thought there's a, I was interpreting that there's a huge disconnect between the concept and the structure in that moment. And I said to her, <clears throat> That's my jo- I said, or this is a concept I want you to understand. And then it's my job to figure out a way to back this into a doubles point is how I left it. So I said, can you just go with it? And she said, yes.
0: And that was the third problem. <clears throat> she could go with it. That didn't mean she accepted it.
1: So there's a, a, another. She
0: did not accept it. So there's. You answer. interpreted. Can you. What did you say?
1: Can you just go with it for now? And I'll clarify it in a real context. So
0: you struck a weird bargain, which most people do. By you're getting her acquiescence to do this by saying, can you go with this for now? And later on, I'll explain it. So first of all, she can't go with it for now. (laughs) She's that type of a person, that type of a processor. She's not going to go for it for now. She wants to know right now why we're supposed to do this. And she doesn't agree with you. She clearly has said that you got her to do it, but it's begrudging. And, and let's look at the fallout from that. Then what happened?
1: Well, she didn't do it. (laughs) No, but how long did this go on? Well, since I had a whole plan for it, it was the whole class. (laughs) So it went on for
0: how many minutes? Like, give us a quantity. How long?
1: An hour? <laughs> okay. No, no, but I had different, there were different levels. So there was like level one or, or part one. Right. You get this, we'll scaffold like you like to
0: scaffold. And, and here's you get part, this, we'll go then, to part two. Yeah. And then
1: the last, the third round is we try to put it all together. But you never got past the first round. I, we started mm. the second round. So I got to two out of the three that I wanted to. Uh-huh. And then next week I was hoping to get to the, how does this apply in a drill double setup? in any in any formation but we probably won't get there.
0: So it could have been better if we had practiced proactive tennis in that way too. <clears throat> because if you had said, "Okay, hold on a second. Um, I'm guessing by your comment here of when would we ever use this? You 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 feel pretty, you feel pretty strongly about this. You feel pretty strongly." And she would have said, "Yeah, I do, cuz I don't and and you're you you you're not Let's be clear here. You're you by by saying this, you're not just you're not feeding into this this sort of whatever. You're basically just trying to get her to buy in on this whole thing. So basically you say, "You know, I'm I'm guessing you're not really in agreement with this." And that's where you have to as a coach come up with instead of trust me, I know this, I'm the co- coach. She doesn't trust you in that regard. She might like you, she might whatever, but she doesn't trust you because for some reason in her mind, even though you've been teaching for 20 years and you've seen all this stuff and whatever, she doesn't think, she's now comparing it to her world. When am I gonna see this when I'm playing doubles, when I'm out there with people that I play against? When am I gonna see it? And so that's when you might have, practice a little bit more proactive tennis by being like, I mean, I don't know if you know her groups or if you can come up with more concrete, something that addresses her world, because the problem yes, is you're, do, right. you keep bringing her into your world and you're like, because, and this is part of being a coach and this is the dicey part about being well, a there's coach. There's
1: nothing like she's not being mean about it. Like she's an, I like her. She's a great person. I never said that. No, no I didn't say you did. Yeah. I'm clarifying for other people that it's like, now it's my job to figure out how do i get this but the problem is and we talked about this earlier she has
0: this now she has this emotional and mental screen up she still doesn't believe you she's willing to go along with this but she's really going to unless you stop everything and you really address this head-on look what it does to the class it it just it you you don't get to where you wanted to go where you knew the other players could go because the other players were mentally and emotionally okay they were like, okay, coach, you're telling us to do this. You're telling us to get in this formation. We're going to do this and we're going to fail at it a lot, but then we're going to get there because we're open to it. She is like, no, I'm not really open to this.
1: Well, well I think it's funny as a coach, also, mm-hmm. if you have a class and three out of the four get it, you can see it in the movement. Right. There, there's a slight hesitation. Yeah. And I think all coaches get really good at this where, you know, it's that thing of like, Oh, they don't look confident in their hitting or movement because they're not really sure where they there's there's like a a mind body disconnect on right. the court right. where they're not really sure where to go. Right. And I think that's why people tend to like reactive tennis because it's concrete. Right. Oh, that it's going now to my forehand on the deuce side. Yes, but by the time you process that, and it's it is concrete. You're now grossly late to get to the ball. Can I
0: give you an example? I'll give you an example from my kids. When I'm teaching my kids, we do a lot of serve and, and return. And my one son, who's a lefty, he hits the ball. He'll, he'll, that would be bomber. He'll pull off a great serve. And what he does to close the point, what he does is he serves me wide. He serves me wide. And then he looks to see if he can get something coming to his forehand in which case, or if it's coming short to his backhand, it's shallow because he serves me wide. I'm off my COG and the, it, the ball lobs up. And what he wants to do is come in for the kill. <clears throat> he wants to come in and just drop the bomb right there and, it, and just close it out and be done with it. But there's a lot of times when I get to the ball and I rip the ball and I rip the ball to his backhand on the deuce side and I keep doing it and I keep telling him, you know, I'm going to make that shot. You have a choice here. What are you going to do? You know I'm going to make it. How many times do you, but literally, this is how the brain can be. He's not sitting there and he needs to, and eventually he will. He'll get licked enough with this that he's like, you know what? I I said to him, you either have to adjust your serve and set me up different so that I cannot do that, or you have to put yourself in position to be able to respond to that ball. And I don't know if you're going to be able to do it. It depends. Depends on how hard I'm hitting it back, how fast it's coming. The whole thing, and it gets back to your math and science thing. But this gets to your brain processing thing, which is he was having, he was resisting my comment. You know, even though I'm saying to him, "Listen, you keep hitting it here, and I keep responding like this," he not He's practicing reactive tennis. But if he was practicing proactive tennis, and that's where I have to slow things down. And in fairness, and I'm going to do this now more is after. One or two or three of those, I'm going to stop and I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to say, look, I'm going to walk the line and I'm going to say, your shot is coming this way. I'm going to return it over there. I even get to the point where I'm like the babe and I point on the court to where my shot is going to go and they hate it because they're like, I know, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, but that's that reactive
1: mindset. But you know what that does when you do the old Babe Ruth and you're pointing? That shows that you have a plan. Right. You're, you're already a step ahead. So we underestimate the power of planning. Right. Of planning a shot or two ahead where, and again, there's always plan B that, oh, they, I didn't get what I wanted. But when you go in with a plan in anything, it allows you to pivot because it, 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 there's a starting point. But it's
0: not just going in with a plan. And this is what we're really talking about. You also have to go in with a mindset.
1: Because if you don't. No, the mind, right. The mindset should be to have always have a plan. Right. That is your mindset. You should always be planning Man, well, what you're, you're
0: open to if the plan goes wrong. That's my point. That's, oh, isn't Yeah. That, because yes. oh, if the plan doesn't work or if the plan goes wrong, what are we going to do? Well,
1: How are the, we gonna well write now you're in the ship? course of the point. Like, well, that's not what I wanted to do, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was not the shot I was going to go for, right. but that's okay. But I got half of it. You know but, but and I, the way So I it's this
0: combination really. It's this combination of you've got the plans you're plan you're playing proactive tennis, but you also have to have you can't have this mental and emotional screen up that so many tennis players have because you have this mental and emotional screen that says, "Oh listen, I know. I've got a way better backhand than he does or I've got a way better forehand than he does or I've got a no, you you dismiss it like whatever, but I'm telling you people go in with that mindset
1: I did and I'm like I should be able to smoke this guy. Right? Well, he's smoking you. Okay, so what's interesting is the, the coach I co coach with. Yeah. Well, I'm going to call him co coach. Co coach. He has two brothers that he coaches. Okay. And one technically looks a little bit better. That's a 20% better. Whole family plays and can hit right. of the ball. Right. Like, you're like, hmm. whoa, he must be really good. He loses to the other brother all the time, (laughs) and and, and I because I had said, "Wow, he's looking really good," and he goes, "Well, he looks good, but he doesn't compete well." The other one's smarter. He makes he makes smarter decisions. He is more um, controlled in how in in his movement, in his shot selection, and he he. So when you when you look right, so then you look at something on paper. And you see somebody practicing, you're like, oh, they must be really good. (laughs) Right, I know. That that has nothing to do with it. There are a lot of people that, ready? And I think this is another thing also. (laughs) We teach these these concepts and this amazing game to adults. And then if you have some adults that are on a team, what they did in practice is nothing like they play. (laughs) It's a pale comparison And then you say, hey, I I was watching some of your match. You didn't do anything that we were working on. Well, I wanted to win. But but what I showed you was how to win. No, but I don't don't trust myself. Right? So that's a confidence thing. That's a mental thing. We're we're not open. And then, again, last year, before the Covies, I worked on different formations a lot. I almost... Mm. I re- rarely did the classic because I wanted people to change their mindsets. And I'd watch some of my students and they go, not all of them, but a lot of them that were on teams would go right back to classic. And I was like, well, did you do the, I, well, no, we're just not there yet. Just because you're not comfortable with it doesn't mean it's not going to have a negative, it's not going to help your team against the other team. You're throwing it out because you're only putting it about you. You're not thinking about how it affects the other team. Right. And I think there's So what a- you're saying is, just to
0: be clear here, what you're saying is is that people are still coming from the perspective of <clears throat> I win or lose the game based on my handling of the ball, not necessarily my court positioning or my other little tactics and strategies that I take when my opponent has the ball
1: it's 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 almost you you've left a whole
0: you've left a chunk of money on the table as they say in gambling you have literally left a huge chunk uh that you could have used to win
1: (laughs) and have more fun yeah it's way more interesting yeah
0: so you don't have to trust yourself to get it. So what you're saying is you don't have to trust your game or trust your practice of the eye formation. Just stand in the fricking eye formation and see what it does to your opponent and see if, it, and then all of a sudden, like it throws them off and the ball gets shanked or it goes into the net. Unforced error time. Okay. Well, it worked.
1: It worked. <laughs> like, and they're like, what's, what's this? All
0: you did there was get in line. <laughs> you didn't you didn't like do any like boogie boo you just you just <laughs> <It's a> boogie boo <laughs> right i mean isn't that true like so so but we need to practice more of that reactive tennis and or i'm sorry pro- proactive tennis because the problem is we spend all this time on reactive tennis we literally when i think about it it almost makes me sick when i think about right now, all across America, all across America right now, there are millions of people playing tennis and, but it's true. And they're all practicing reactive
1: tennis. And it's true. They are. All right. Come on. Let's be specific though. Club level adults. They don't see the game for all the sports they watch. I have to, I have to say, I, I don't, I don't, it's not
0: just club level adults. There are, can you Junior see players that are not being taught proactive tennis you right think, from the start. You think so? Yes, I know so. I know so. You're being taught positioning. You're being taught. I, I see it over and over and over for hours and hours and hours. And I think to myself what a crime it is now that we're talking about this, how important it would be, especially for little kids based on their brainwave and everything like that, for them to start learning doubles just some of the strategy and tactics we've put doubles off in the corner as if it's the bastard stepchild of tennis. And really what we're saying here to me is one of the biggest eye openers. It's almost like you talking to your Cumberland college ex brother-in-law is that doubles has incredible amounts of strategy that singles doesn't have. And we need to be teaching that. Because it's a complicated – because, first of all, you're likely to play doubles into your older years if you stay in tennis. Second of all, it's incredible brain processing. Third of all, because it's incredible brain processing for adults, I would think it would be interesting. It would be engaging. So it's a depth of interest, and it goes to what you were saying. You're missing out on so much more what the game has to offer you, so much more fun – Because there's tactics and there's strategy and there's everything like that, and what a kick in the pants it is to sit there and say, "Hey, let's get into I formation. Let's see what they do," and they'll suddenly be like, "What the hell are they doing? What what are they doing? Where's the classic? What now? What are they going to do? It may be just. It may just be that now they're just like, "Wait a minute. What the hell is this?" Can they even do Are, that? Yeah. Are you allowed to do that? Are they, is, is that legal? You know what I mean. And
1: and it's like, yeah, it is. You know. But isn't that the disconnect? Also, people will say, oh, they watch tennis, right? They they watch all the majors and they they watch the doubles and Wimbledon, and then when you get out and you show them, like, well, they do it at the pro level, and you're like. I don't. I've never seen it. Well, that's what they do. And then, and then I'll show them on your phone. You're like, "Look here, I right. formation. This is Australian formation. Right. This is, because
0: it goes counter to the classic what we've been reactively taught. Right. I mean, that's ultimately what's happening here is that we've been reactively taught all this stuff, and it creates a barrier. It creates an, one of these invisible barriers that we talk about, because people are like, "That's not the tennis that I know."
1: So do you think that the barrier then limits our potential? Absolutely.
0: That's oh, what I was just saying when I was saying that we need to be teaching doubles to little kids. Because actually, little, little kids is like foreign language, right? They always talk about little kids. You want to teach them foreign language. You want to teach them six to twenty languages in their brain. And Well, why aren't we teaching
1: doubles? I know it's going to be hard. Let's be honest. It's going to be hard. Well, in a weird way, we should ditch The technique early on, and just get right into the strategy. Just, just go. Let's go. Let's just play. And then we'll, and
0: then we'll figure out. Well, you can this other stuff. You can. I'm not saying technique is not important, but we've made it all about technique and none about strategy. Strategies, like you know, it's like I see the classic lesson. I see this over and over and over. And I don't care what you say. I don't really care. I see it. (laughs) I see it over and over and over. Come on on the court. It's a private warm-up, whatever, all the all the stuff. It's out of an hour. It's, f- I'm saying, 45 to 50 minutes of ground strokes and forehands and backhands and whatever. And there may be some other stuff. And the last five to 10 minutes, and you got ball pickup, is serves. And I'm like, wait. Wait a, Wait a second. I want to understand this. I, I just want to, you're hitting
1: all the buttons today. I want, I, no,
0: I just want to understand this. So one of the most important shots in all of tennis is given short shrift the last five to 10 minutes of the game. So we're automatically building club players here because you're not going to even have a competitive player. You're going to have somebody who likes to rally, who loves to rally. They're really good at it. So anyway, my, my point is, I, I think you're right. I think we need to ditch we need to ditch a lot of the technique and go right to the strategy. We need to really start talking about it because it's actually, they call this concept in um, innovation. Okay. They call it gradient ascent.
1: Hold on. Gradient
0: ascent. Gradient ascent.
1: Yeah. So
0: the, what, is, what does that mean? So gradient ascent means that you would, if, if you were to, let's say, let's borrow the analogy to mountain climbing and you were to stand at the base of a mountains, you would pick you'd look at the range and you'd sit there and you'd say, okay, that's the highest peak. We're going for that one first. We're going for that one first. And then from there, once we get up to that peak, we'll assess. (laughs) And before you know it, everybody's gone up to that peak. Nobody's sitting there saying, Oh God, this is so far. It's the first peak that they went to. It's all they know. It's all they know. If we'd gone to the little bunny hill peak, They'd be, And then we said, okay, we're going to that peak. They'd be like, I'm not going to that peak. That's a lot of work. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. And instead, you sit there and you go, we're going to that peak. And everybody's like, okay, we're going to the peak. And they get to their peak and they're like, Jesus, look at that. Wow, we're way up here. Oh, that peak over there. Oh, well, we might be able to just trudge along here and make that peak. That's easy. No problem. So gradient ascent means taking the more complicated task because I think it, it, it is complicated to a certain degree of the strategy and tactics and that stuff. And get that on the table now. I mean, I looked at it from the standpoint with my kids of I want to tackle the toughest one, which, which is the serve first. And then I'll worry about the ground stroke. I'm not, you know. And now I need to take the next gradient ascent, which is the tactics and strategy. And really, I, I need to go whole all into that. Because I think that that actually would be a really nice gateway for learning singles. So I think if you started with the doubles, you reversed it and you said, no, 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 no. we're gonna do doubles first. And you have to learn about the interplay and working with a partner and a team. I think it would build one camaraderie with kids. Like, okay, no, he's my doubles guy. He's, yeah, he's my guy. Like I I work, He's I got your back, like in the army. It's, it, I'm fighting for him, man, my soldier. And the second thing is, it would build this emphasis on, okay, a strategy, which you can always delimit once you get into the singles format, right, to some degree.
1: You know what, also, there's all this focus on singles, and I don't want to derail this episode, because I feel like you just hit something, I I just had a, a moment, and I'm agreeing with you why aren't we having more doubles tournaments for younger people? They're, they're always singles. You can't dude, you can't find them. I mean, I've tried to sign my sons
0: up. There's, there's like one every quarter, but, and then I talked to a guy that we know and he was like, and I, I said to him, I said, you know, and he played D one college. And I said, um, you know, they're, they're, they're limiting doubles now to one set. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, Whatever. I mean, that's it's so, doubles. So, but, I'm like, that was, that's a major part of the game.
1: But you're also going to lose everybody because no one's going to want to play it when they're older. We're going to lose people. No one's going to play doubles. No, that, but since they're all playing pickleball, which is mini doubles. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's insane. Or, or it's paddle. So hmm. we're, we're not propagating doubles in tennis. So paddle and pickleball have stolen that. And there's slower games, so you can be less athletic and be successful. So you have camaraderie, you can go out and do those things. Here's one, what if you went to a club and they said, "Uh, Claude, this is Sully, Sully, this is Claude. You guys are going to be a doubles team now for the next four months. And you guys uh, come up with your your uniform, a shirt or something that's fun to wear. And we have 10 other teams of two. Oh, my God. Dude, you're blowing my mind. You're rocking my body. Because
0: I'm telling you right now. Wouldn't that be cool? That would build such incredible camaraderie. With the kid, I'm talking juniors now. Let's, no, let's no, get no, away from no, the adults. No, no, I'm on juniors
1: with you also, okay. younger people. Because yes.
0: I, I think that would, you know, we're, we're always talking about, well, tennis isn't, you know, it's not a team sport and he really loves the team. And, you know, so he's taking these other, he's with these other teams. He's on soccer and he's on this and he's on that. Listen, we could have our own mini team. And actually it's much more personable because then it's like, no, 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 I want to be there. I need to be there. I need to be there for Mickey. Right, I need to be there. I'm his partner. There's no other partner. This is what it is. It's almost like uh, what is that volleyball? Two, you know, two two on two or volleyball or whatever. It's like you can't, you know, <laughs> the two. Uh, oh, like beach volleyball. Yeah, like, like beach you volleyball. volleyball. You can't, you can't have, you can't play beach volleyball, but just you know, without your partner. So my point is, I think you're right, and we need to be talking about the, because that's the that's the gradient ascent. That's the most difficult thing, which is okay. If if we take this formation, will it cognitively mess up the other person? Yeah, it will. Great, we'll win a point or two. Okay, great. We'll see what happens. Maybe it won't for the whole time, but you know whatever. Okay, if we do this, we do that. You see what I'm saying? So I think we're I think we're it's I think it's where we need to go. I think that's the mistake. We need to actually not walk away from doubles entirely. We need to bring doubles in and we 100 yes, percent and we
1: need to bring younger people in where you're just like, hey, this is your and then have a new partner in in the next session but then you can say hey we're having a tournament and then you're signing up for these things with somebody it also gives you a practice partner to play singles with yeah totally it allows ready you could run special classes on claude and sully uh coach bob is going to work with you guys against susan and sarah and you were going to do a double uh a mixed doubles we're going to mix your team up or we're going to have girls versus guys or whatever it may be. And we're going to do, and it doesn't for kids, especially for coaches
0: that are thinking that they're thinking you guys are nuts. Doubles is still complicated and whatever tennis, you know, I'm telling you, you could keep it simple for now. Just get them on the court, get them matching shirts, get them learning a little bit, seeing that it's fun. Seeing you have a teammate that you're working with, like go, go, you know, yours, mine or whatever. I know you hate that, but I'm just saying you get them going with that. And then now start building up the tactics and strategy and suddenly they're like oh i i'm i'm all over this like i get you know what i mean and yeah and and the kids they're they're processing they're using their brain and they're using their body and it's it's go time and then you can always bring them back to singles yeah i mean it's actually like why are we doing this why are we why aren't we starting with this and reversing it why i don't understand and then it's like doubles well if you know someday if you want to play listen that's what the majority of older adult club players are playing is doubles because of the movement because of everything else and you're basically shunting it from the very beginning like well you know doubles and then at the college level one set done and at the pro level i mean how many people have actually watched an entire doubles match you know what I mean? And it's it's mind-boggling to, to think about this because it's a very important part of the sport. It's something that's very unique to the sport. You don't sit there and say, okay, well, hockey, we're going to take half the team off the field and um, you're just going to play this for, you know what I mean? Or whatever. You just, It's very unique to our sport. So I think, I think we're on to something. I think we need to start with that. It'll build camaraderie. It'll build strategy and tactics, especially at the junior level. It'll set them up for if they want to be um, if they want to play tennis later in life and they want to play it in their 40s, 50s,
1: 60s, 70s, 80s. But then they'll have an open mindset at that point to understand proactive playing because they've done it their whole life and it'll be better competition later in life. God, I don't know. There's nothing else to be said here. You rocked my brain. I'm about to go rock my body. <laughs> tennis rockets, baby! All for now.